she's moving up and back. Oh man, there ain't nothing like twisting the night away. The U.S. Supreme Court is upholding affirmative action admissions at the University of Texas in Austin. The ruling, which just came down, was four to three. Critics have been hoping for a sweeping ruling striking down race-based admissions at public colleges. And the court put on hold President Obama's immigration plan after a split decision. It left a Fifth Circuit court decision in place, which blocked the administration's plans. A sit-in continues on the House floor. Democrats are calling for a vote on gun control. The effort is led by Georgia Congressman John Lewis, who took the floor early yesterday. About 20 lawmakers still remain. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi accused Republicans of leaving town in what she called a cowardly fashion. Our colleagues were willing to walk away in the dark of night, shut down the Congress. Speaker Paul Ryan adjourned the House this morning for recess. This is USA Radio News. Know what's always on my mind, kid? Safety. I live, eat, and breathe safety. When I wake up in the morning, I have a large cup of safety with two sugars and a dash of safety. Safety matters. Your safety, my safety, everybody's safety. That's why I love Granger. Granger has the products, services, and resources to help keep our facility safe and our people safer. Now pass me one of those safety donuts over there. Call clickgranger.com slash safety or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Fundraising for Donald Trump is going well. The likely GOP presidential nominee has picked up $11 million since Tuesday. An earlier report showed Trump's campaign had 1.3 million, compared with Democratic rival Hillary Clinton's 42 million. Meanwhile, Trump continues to criticize Clinton. Hillary Clinton, and as you know, she, most people know, she's a world-class liar. And Clinton has criticized Trump, claiming he will not help the economy. New congressional data shows hundreds of terror plots have been stopped since 9-11, and most involve foreigners and refugees, according to Fox. This news comes as President Obama is pushing to let in more refugees from Syria. Last year, the FBI admitted they could not be properly vetted. An unidentified man has opened fire in a German cinema complex and may have taken hostages, according to local media. Several people are wounded. The incident, which is ongoing, took place in the town of Wernheim. This is USA Radio News. Love sports articles but don't have time to search the web looking for the most compelling stories? Then U.S. Sports Pages is for you. Why spend hours going to multiple sites looking to find sports articles when we can do the work for you? Our producers go through every newspaper in the country and pick out the best sports articles separated by sport, dramatically reducing your prep time. We also include sports and entertainment kicker stories. USSportsPages.com is the only site you'll need to get your sports fix. Check us out today. The daily links at USSportsPages.com. The vote all of Europe has been waiting for has arrived. Senior correspondent Jason Wirt has more. 
Residents of Great Britain are heading to the polls to see if they stay or leave the European Union. Daniel Conscious of the Heritage Foundation spoke with USA Radio News. He said leaving would actually benefit the UK economically long term. The UK can really sort of orient itself towards the world, towards places like the US, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and chart a new way forward. Conscious added currently the UK is consistently outvoted by EU commissioners and therefore has very little real influence in the EU. I'm Jason Wirt. A judge in Maryland has acquitted a police van driver of all charges in the Freddie Gray case. Caesar Goodson was accused of depraved heart murder. Yesterday, Baltimore Mayor Stephanie Rawlings-Blake said the city was prepared in case any protests turned violent following the verdict. She says the city has connected and collaborated with local and regional law enforcement to make sure security measures are in place. The National Guard is also on standby and police have canceled all leave for officers. The National Hockey League is coming to Las Vegas. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman says the expansion team will begin play after next season. The NHL's Board of Governors unanimously voted yesterday to award the team to Vegas. It is the first NHL expansion since 2000 when Minnesota and Columbus joined the league. This is USA Radio News. I'm Kelly Sloan. For more news, go to our website at usaradio.com. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of WLTT 1180 or COI Radio, LLC. Hello, everybody. This is Bill Moore along with John Evans on Straight Talk. If you want to call in and talk to us on the show, the number is 910-765-0097. Politics can be amazing. It can be confusing. It can make you dazed. Mr. Neil Diamond says it best. Somebody's waiting on the river, Jordan Somebody's waiting on the other side I cast my stones on the way to heaven But on the way you know that I will abide Yes, on the way you know that I will abide Everybody, this is Bill Moore okay. along with John Evans on Straight Talk. If you want to call in and talk to us on the Go show, the number is 910-765-0097. Politics can be amazing, it can be confusing, it can make you dazed. Mr. Neil Diamond says it best. Somebody's waiting on the How's it going? All right. Somebody's waiting on the other side. I cast my stones on the way yes, to heaven But on the way you know that I would abide Yes, on the way you know that I would abide I'm here. I'm here. How are you? Hi, welcome to the show. This is Bill Moore and our, my co-host, John. Hey, John. How, Bill? How you doing? Good to have you. Welcome. Uh... I was going to read your bio that your office sent me, but that would take the show. Yeah, I was hoping you didn't use all of it. <laughs> I just, uh, why don't you do me a quick favor and you hit the high points, because if you wrote this thing forever, uh, it's just phenomenal what you do. And just so people know, you've been on our other show before, and we talked about uh, the real truth behind fossil fuels and, and alternative energy. You did a great job. 
So why don't you tell well, us a little about you? I, I remember that, and I actually think we ended up putting it on our website. And um, I was going to ask if I could get a copy of, of today's show. I know it's recorded. I'll see if I can set it up for you. That'd be great. And, and then I guess as it relates to my bio, if, if there's you, – you probably know your listening audience much better than I do. So, I mean, if, if there's things in that bio that maybe catch your attention that maybe your listeners would want to know more about, perhaps you could just ask me some questions or zero in on those, those key areas. Okay. Uh, just so people know, aside from the fact he's been involved with uh, the power of one fund in 2009, uh, he's working with Wharton Glendon, uh, Gladden. He's been appointed to the North Carolina Council on Economic Education, been on the board of directors and the executive committee. He's a member of the Piedmont Club, chairman of the Small Business Ambassadors for the North Carolina Energy Forum. Am I skipping anything here, or we just keep going? No, you're you're doing just fine. I'm gonna have to uh, make sure I send you that twenty dollars after the show. Uh, make it out to the get, make it out to WLTT. That would be fine. I will. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Winston Salem University recruited him to teach commercial real estate courses. Uh, he's on the Center of Design and Innovation for the Board of Trustees for the University of North Carolina. Uh, he was named National Director of Minority Engagement for the American Energy Forum, uh, which is a nonpartisan community of 23 states promoting sound energy policies for the entire country. And this is a role that Algin met the last time he came on and did a great show with me. Uh, he speaks all over the country, and I'm just so pleased, to, and we're just pleased to have him here. So thank you, and thank you for coming to the show. Well, thank you all for having me. Um, I've been looking forward to it, and I know we were trying to make sure I, I could be in Wilmington there with you, and I was excited about getting a chance to see you, but I apologize at the last minute I couldn't actually make it into town. The important thing is that you, you cared enough to, about, to at least call me and get the show, because we're radio, so whether you're physically here or not, uh, you know, like my mom, my wife tells me I have a face for radio, so it works rather well that way. Yeah, me too. <laughs> no, wait a minute. I've seen you, sir. And you could be doing television just fine. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Anyway, I know you have a, an interesting topic for us. Why don't you introduce it to our all listening audience? Well, you know, I, I just felt like, Bill, I mean, considering we're in, in what, what I would call a, a, a very critical election year, um, I, I think a lot of voters and a lot of people right now are focused on how do we really restore the prosperity of North Carolina. And, you know, at, at, at the, the point that we are at right now, sort of what are some things that really need to happen in order for that to happen. And, and, and so I just thought it would be a great opportunity to, to jump on the line with you and um, have that conversation. And, and, of course, we'd love for your listeners to chime in and call in with, with questions. And listeners, we have trying to figure it out today. We think we know how to do a conference call because it's a new experience for both of us here. But if you want to call in and ask questions of Algernon, it's 910-765-0097. So without further ado, let's talk, what you, talk to us what you want to tell us about. Yeah, you know, again, I, like I stated before, I mean, we, we are certainly in the middle of a very important election, not only at the federal level, but... Um, sometimes we get so focused on what's happening at the federal level that we, we also um, seem to forget that we've got an election happening here in North Carolina um, and, and a lot of local elections that are happening right now as well as um, um, a lot of your congressional members are up for re-election. And so while I know the, um, the, the, the two juggernaut candidates at the top of the ticket you know, often takes a lot of the attention and sucks a lot of the air out of the room, I just think it's important that, you know, this year we, we also be looking very closely at the state of North Carolina, looking at where we are here in North Carolina and trying to figure out how do we make certain that, that our leaders are going to be implementing the right policies 
as we get ready to go into this, this next year to make sure that, you know, all North Carolinians are, are benefiting from the, the upturn in the economy and, and not just select areas of North Carolina. And, and I feel like in order to do that, we, we have got to, in this state, we've got to be refocused on things like entrepreneurship and not just entrepreneurship in the big urban areas like Raleigh, Charlotte, and Greensboro, but, but entrepreneurship throughout the state of North Carolina and especially at the coast. I feel like we've got to be definitely refocused on, on education. And, you know, North Carolina, we have an impeccable K-12 through education system. We have a great university college system. And, and we also have a great community college system. But I, I feel like where we lack at times is helping those unskilled workers to be able to get engaged with those community college programs so that we can develop more skilled workers and, and fill some of those jobs that are out there. And, and certainly I, I think the third leg of that stool is some kind of way, Bill, to get regular citizens re-engaged and excited about what's going on in Raleigh. Um, a lot of times I get frustrated because I feel like a lot of the things that happen here in our state only happen because we're not paying attention. What? And, of course, once it happens, we, we get very, um, you know, we're uproared and excited about it. But, you know, if we paid more attention during the process, like right now, we have a better chance of creating the outcomes that we want. So. You know, I'm looking at civic engagement, I'm looking at entrepreneurship, and I'm looking at education as the, the three main drivers to transform in this state. So, Algernon, what is going on in Raleigh? Well, I mean, it, it, you know, right now, it, not a whole lot, I mean, simply because we're in an election year. Obviously, we just came out of a big session where we, we saw a lot of new legislation passed. Um, I, I know the legislature did a good job of trying to get back in and um, adjust some of the teacher salaries and so forth. Uh, but, but I think right now, while we're in this short session, this is the year for us to be paying attention and for us to be having the conversation with our elected leaders about what policies are, are, is it going to take for us to move the state forward. Are there any candidates who are uh, especially good at leading the charge on important topics, right side of oh. important topics? Oh, man, you're, you're trying to get me in some hot water there. If I start throwing out a couple of candidate names, I'm surely going to forget some others. But um, it, it, you know, I, I, I like to really, I, I really write, I'm not trying to dodge a question, but I really like to encourage voters to go through that process of educating themselves about the candidate. Um, qu quite frankly, what may be a good fit for Algernon Cash might not be a good fit for John Doe. And I, and I feel like people have to go through that process to make certain they understand who's representing their community and, and whether or not those are the best people. Let me ask that question the other way around. Are there any policies topics, um, initiatives that you think need to be supported, and then we can find which candidates are supporting them on our own. Well, you, you know, one of the big ones for me, and, and I did come on the show before and, and talked a lot about energy and, and the, the need for us to look at more access to energy offshore, which could have a a huge impact for our coastal communities as well. Well, Algernon, just as I cut in quick, this is a new audience for that. They've never heard that. Oh, okay. Very good. Well, well, yes. Um, you know, I certainly believe that energy is is probably one of the could be one of the biggest drivers for our state. Um, we we know right now we could create somewhere around fifty five thousand jobs just by allowing more access to offshore energy out in the Atlantic coast, um, and those jobs would be largely based along the coast as well as in eastern North Carolina. So I think that's a huge, huge opportunity. And and I know we have a governor that um, is, is in favor of more energy exploration and development. Um, it just seems like he's not necessarily getting the support that he needs 
out of Washington to, to, to be able to do that. So I, I do believe that's a huge driver. I, I also believe that we need to be looking at ways to um, redevelop our coast and be able to redredge our, our ports and, and expand our ports because with, with the way transportation and logistics are going right now in the country, North Carolina has a huge opportunity to be the, you know, the East Coast gateway for a lot of the goods and, 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 and the products that are coming from areas like Southeast Asia, China, India, and so forth. We, we all know right now the West Coast ports are basically at capacity. Um, the Panama Canal is being restructured and, and will, will basically be expanded and reopened here very soon. And North Carolina could be in position to take advantage of that, but we've got to refocus our energy and our attention and, and, and get the necessary will to, to do what's necessary out there on the coast. Al Algernon, I have a question. Uh, there was an initiative uh, not so long ago to put a new container port near Southport, North Carolina. Is that dead, or could that easily or, or reasonably uh, be revived? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's dead, I, I, and I don't know all the details of that project. I, I know that as they have looked at those types of projects off the coast of North Carolina, the main issue they've run into is just just our ports not being able to handle sort of the modern-day container ship, you know, for lack of a better word. It's a depth issue. Yeah, and that is the big issue. And, and I, I will tell you in the last session, you know, we, we did meet with some legislators down in Raleigh and, and had that conversation. And like many other initiatives in this state, it, it, you know, it's all about trying to find the money and the capital to make the investment into the infrastructure. And, and, and right now, I, I, you know, sadly, I report I don't see the political will in Raleigh to do so. And, and so that's an initiative right there that I, I do believe that, that more voters ought to stand up and pay attention to. Um, they should be asking more questions about whether or not their legislators support infrastructure development. But, um, but again, that, that could be a huge economic driver for North Carolina. Well, I believe that the politicians tried to make it happen, and the residents of the Southport area revolted. It was a NIMBY-type uh, revolt. And a similar thing happened in New Bern. Yes. Hmm. Uh, I was on the Northeast Commission, so I know a little bit about this. Yeah. And uh, what's interesting, and it falls into what Algernon was talking about, uh, there's an initiative that Raleigh's starting to try and run a, a new state from the Richmond Harbor uh, down to Raleigh. And they've actually got some basis going on it, and they figure by doing that, uh, because of the waterways and everything in Northeast North Carolina, it would open up a lot of places. They could do trans-terminal operations, railway operations, and that would create a lot of jobs. I'm sorry I'm not stepping on your toes there, my friend. No, no, you're fine. I, I mean, that's exactly what, what I think your listeners need to hear is just really you know, hearing about the, 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 um, the size and scope of the opportunity. And, and, and we all know eastern North Carolina has been severely impacted by the, the exodus of manufacturing jobs as well as agricultural jobs. And, and so I, I really feel like we've got to be thinking proactively about how we support that area of the state. Yeah, this will probably yield more jobs than a uh, new high-speed rail line. Yes, well, he did say 55,000 jobs. That's a greater degree of being successful. Um, you, you know, you also have the Atlantic Coast Pipeline that, that is going to be constructed and built through North, I mean, through eastern North Carolina that will be transporting natural gas from the Marcellus Shell. That's a joint project between um, Duke and PNG and Dominion. And I think that's going to end up not only creating some jobs but also helping some of those rural counties expand their tax base. So. There, there's several things here going on in North Carolina. I mean, it, it, and it, but more importantly, I think we've got to make sure our, our citizens are paying close attention 
to what's happening and again supporting those candidates that that have the right policies in mind now i would question now we're, we're a port city obviously and there are some people here that are concerned about off-sale drilling with the seismic testing uh what is your answer to them when they show all this concern yeah you, you know i know they they're showing concern but i like to show them science and the, the science says that you you know this process can be done safely and responsibly the science says that we've been doing this for literally five or six decades all around the, the, the world, not, not just here in our country. Um, and, and so I, I understand that there are people out on the coast who become very emotional when they hear about offshore energy and develop, energy exploration and development, but, but I believe that emotion has to be um, met with, with real logic and science. And, and again, I mean, when you talk to engineers and you talk to people in the science community and you hear the real facts around it, they tell you that this can be done safely and responsibly, and as it, as it relates to seismic testing, they certainly believe that that can be done in a way that doesn't harm um, sea mammals. So again, I, I mean, you, you know, I understand that there are some emotional arguments out there, but I, I do believe we got to counter that with logic. I believe it was it you that told me that even you know the government requires that when you do a seismic testing that there's an independent person on the ship, and as soon as they pick up any areas in the area, they have to stop the testing. Oh yes, I mean the the process of seismic testing, and, and keep in mind our our you you know the United States Navy, um, you know utilizes this process you know almost on a daily basis. So this this isn't something that that is foreign to us. I mean we do it, um, but but yes, it's a highly regulated process, and there has to be an independent observer that is on that ship. And if there is any kind of a sea mammal that is spotted or anything along those lines, all testing and operations are halted. Um, and, and keep in mind, I mean, seismic testing, I mean, they're basically just taking a very large air gun and dragging it behind the ship and, and, and essentially um, shooting that down to the sea, sea surface, and that's essentially how they, they create a mapping of, of, of the area. And, and, it's, and it's really important because you, you don't want to go out there and start drilling and doing actual development until you can go through a process of identifying where the resource is. And, and so it, it's it's an important part in, in getting to that, that phase where you can actually start developing the resource. Do we know or do we have a good indication how much or how little there is offshore in North Carolina? Oh, that, that's a great question. We, we do have estimates, um, and, and we, we, we do have estimates, and we think that there's probably somewhere around, I want to say, maybe 86 million barrels of oil and, and obviously a sizable amount of, of natural gas that's out there. Um, but, but the estimates that we have are literally 30 or 40 years old um, be, because we have not been allowed to do any new seismic surveying in that area in order to be able to measure what's out there. And, and so basically a lot of the conversations that we're having right now is based on technology or based on estimates using technology that was three or four decades old. So we're, we're essentially trying to have this conversation on the rotary phone at a time when a lot of smartphones have been created. So, so our argument to a lot of the people who stand, you know, object to the process, we say, okay, at least allow us to do some seismic surveying with new technology so that we can figure out what, what amount of resources there, where is it located. Then we can come back and argue whether or not we want to go after it. But, but right now we're not even, the argument isn't necessarily about whether, whether or not we want to go after it. The argument is about whether or not we can figure out what's there and where it is. And I would say, is it safe to say that with modern technology, if you think there are 10 million dollars there, there's more likely 10 times that amount? 
It, it tends to happen. I, I mean, that happened in the Marcella Shell, you know, where they they thought they only had maybe 15 or tri- 15 or um, 15 to 20 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. They found out once they got in there, it was 450 trillion cubic feet. Um, I, I think most of the energy experts out there would tell you that um, without fail, most times once you start exploring and developing, you, you oftentimes find more resource than you thought were there. I, I have found that it is a tactic of the uh, left to uh, uh, deny access to hard information, which is what you're describing. I remember that when uh, um, there was a debate about whether we would allow um, uh, fracking for pursuit of natural gas in North Carolina, Democrats did a all-out push to deny permission to even study the issue. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember. We, we I worked on it through the North Carolina Energy Forum, and um, we, we were one of the leading advocates in terms of um, getting the moratorium lifted. And we did work with the legislature and the governor's office to um, you know make sure that they were educated with real facts and science around how you know how the process of hydraulic fracturing worked. Um, we spent a lot of time going out and educating the community and citizens, and making certain they understood the process from a from a scientific perspective and not an emotional perspective. So yeah, very familiar with it. Um, you know, so North Carolina I'm remembering have the a, tactics correctly, aren't I? Say, say your question again. I'm remembering the political tactics of your opponents correctly, aren't I? You, you are, and and quite frankly, a lot of times, um, you know, the, you like to call it the left. You know, a lot of times, my environmental friends certainly try to use a lot of scare tactics and, and fear mongering to, you know, get get people um, uproar up in arms about about energy development and. And it, it's unfortunate um, because they use those scare tactics, but the reality is um, we do have a real abundant supply of energy in this country, and we, we need to be going after it because um, it, it's important from a national security perspective and an economic security perspective. But in the absence of facts, the, uh, the scare tactics work. And they do, and, and, and that's why you know shows like yours and many others out there where you all have invited us in to, to share comments and, and you know, we, we only have a limited amount of the time to, to reach your listeners, but we always hope that if they hear something that, that piques their interest, that they go and study more and read more and, and, and self-inform, you know, get informed so that they're making the right choices and, and not voting or making decisions based on emotion, but, but really using logic and facts in order to make those choices. Algernon, let's take on the next thing that we always hear. Those wells out in the ocean are not going to be safe and they're going to leak all the time. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly something else that we hear a lot of, and and you know, have you had situations where wells have leaked? Of, of course, that's happened. Um, I, I don't think there's any industry out there that can give you a 100% guarantee that there's there's no risk involved. Um, what what I try to encourage people to do is to not look solely at the risk, but look at the response from the industry to the risk. And the industry is constantly looking at you know new ways to make sure that wells are contained properly and that they're safe. Um, you know, after the Deepwater Horizon incident, you know, back in 2010, the industry got together with the federal government and created the Center for Offshore Safety to make sure that these wells were, were being um, um, contained and constructed the right way. Um, but, but, you know, go ask the airline industry. You, go ask the car industry. Go ask any industry. You, you'll never get to a point where, where there's a, you know, 100% guarantee of no risk. Um, the, the only thing you can try to continue to do is mitigate those risks. And, you know, fortunately here in America where we got a lot of smart people, 
we've been able to do that the right way, and we've been doing it for a long time the right way. Very good. Uh, moving on a little bit, do you want to talk a little bit about fracking while we're doing energy? Yeah, sure. Let's we can touch on that. I I remember talking to a uh, a uh, a uh, professor, actually a uh, the father-in-law to one of my uh, in-law, my my family, um, who's professional in uh, teaching water hydrology at at that uh, institution out there, Bennington, Vermont, super liberal place, <laughs> and uh, he said. Uh, he didn't want to talk about global warming because I might as well deny uh, gravity. And I, as to fracking, he said that uh, it was constantly uh, uh, spoiling um, uh, underground water reservoirs. How common is that and how avoidable is that? If you have a problem, is it uh, soluble with uh, technical means? Yeah, I mean, that, we, we, we've heard that argument again, time and time again. Um, un unfortunately, we, we have not been able to, um, yeah, we've, we've never been able to bear that out with true science and facts. I mean, there's, there's about two million wells that have been completed all around the world. Um, there has never been a single reported case of hydraulic fracturing ca causing any contamination to water, underground water supply. Um, we, we often try to remind people that your water tables are located probably about two to 300 uh, feet underground. These fracking operations are often occurring at um, several thousand feet underground. So it, 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 where the operation actually occurs and where the water supply is, it, it's not even in the same uh, vicinity. Now, there have been cases where in certain areas of the country where there have been you know, leaks of methane into the water supply, but, but no one's ever been able to necessarily track that back to fracking operations. But, but if you look at just history in general, I mean, we, there, there's history going back to George Washington of methane being found in, you know, lakes and, and ponds and underground water supplies. So we, we believe that that's just a natural occurring phenomenon, and it, it, it does happen. But in terms of actual the chemicals that are being used in the fracking process getting into water supply, there, there's no confirmed case of that, um, and and we also like to remind people that when you know the liquid that's being injected underground for the fracking operation, well, 99 and a half percent of that is just water and sand. I mean, only about a half a percent of the fluid has some some household chemicals that you you know if you go look under your sink right now, you'd, you'd find some of this stuff. So, um, so we again we just try to remind people of some of the factual. Arguments when, when it when it comes to the, the the issue you just raised, and as a matter of fact, is there you know I I, I remember the documentary Frack Nation, which was an interesting expose on what was going on there. Uh, as and I remember, quite a bit. Sorry, are you talking about um? Well, which one are you talking about? Are you talking about the um, the um. The response, the one that actually showed that all that methane was not coming from. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's the, okay. Now I'm thinking about the one that was done before, and I. I there's been several of these videos that have been done, but I know there's there's one or two that have been done by a guy named um, Josh. I can't remember his last name, but that's the the one or two that I know have been debunked. Right. And uh, now, when you talk fracking, I think people also understand that unlike other wells, fracking can have multiple uh, heads going down there in different directions. So one well can cover multiple feeds, right? Yeah, it's sort of called, it's what we call slant drilling. So you, you essentially can go underground and under one hole 
and then you're able to, 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 to drill at an angle in order to reach additional resource. And I'm, I'm very happy that you raised that, that point because it's something that's not talked a lot about. Um, because of the, the, the process that we're using today, you know, the average well pad is now probably about 80 or 90% smaller than it used to be. So you're, you're literally doing less damage um, to, to green areas and green space because you're not out there digging, you know, multiple holes. You may be dig digging one hole and then accessing the resource in um, a lot of different areas underground. And, and, and so, you know, from a conservation perspective, it would seem like our environmental friends would be happy to see that, but, but it's, it, it's a point that is often left out of their literature. And I would also say with that, whereas a, a fracking well versus a regular well, you can reopen, you can seal a fracking well open it a whole lot quicker and easier and cheaper than you can a regular well. You can, and, and you know, and, and quite frankly, some of that's been going on right now. Um, the, the cost of energy has obviously plummeted as, as you know, a lot of our, um, a lot of countries over in uh, the Middle East and so forth have, have increased production to bring down the cost of energy. And so we are seeing, you know, a number of U.S. companies having to um, shutter wells right now and, and sort of bring them offline and, until the price of energy increases again and, and it's more competitive. But you're, you're exactly right. It's a little easier to sort of bring one of those wells offline and bring it back up. What a beautiful uh, way to build uh, national strength. You know, literally deep reserves of energy just ready for us to turn the valve on. Yeah, well, and, you know, what, what, you know, frustrates me a lot of times, you know, we were talking about offshore access a moment ago, and, um, you know, you, 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 th you keep in mind, I mean, somewhere around at 90% of offshore energy resources for this country are prohibited, meaning we, you know, the, the federal government will not allow U.S. companies to touch it, and, 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 you know, but yet we end up doing a deal with a country like Iran, you know, where we allow them to export millions of barrels of oil. I, yeah, I just don't understand sometimes the, the, the thinking of our leaders in Washington. Um, they, they don't seem to quite understand sometimes the importance of not only economic security but national security. And um, it, it just seems like in this country we, we ought to be um, trying to explore and develop as much energy as we can because it makes us much stronger and it certainly makes our citizens much safer. You, you simply don't understand politics, my friend. I don't, and you know, people keep asking me why I'm not running for office, and I, I say I can't run for office because I, I just don't understand. I'm afraid if I go up there, I'm going to lose all common sense as soon as I get to town. Well, actually, you might bring some common sense to wherever you're going. I don't know if, if I if I do that, Bill, they're going to run me off, man. Um, they don't. They seem to be anti-common sense up in up in D.C. Uh, that that works. Uh, Quick follow-up on last one on fracking. Uh, I know there's a lot of people, and even especially in Oklahoma, they're saying that fracking is causing all the earthquakes, et cetera, et cetera. Is there any validity to that statement? Yeah, you know, that's something that um, I actually started doing a little bit of homework on many years ago, and, and I think it was maybe in 2011 or somewhere around there where there was a number, a, a large-scale uh, you know, geological activity up and around in Ohio uh, around a... Um, a, um, a, a, a shale play up in that region, and 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 what we've what we've come to find is if we, after you frack a well, you ba you basically have some flow back, so that fluid starts to flow back out of that well. You you have to take that fluid because it's you know it's contaminated. It's not anything you'd want to to get into a a water or drinking supply by by any stretch of the imagination. 
So you want to take that fluid, and we typically put it in an injection well. And these are wells that are, you know, sometimes 10,000 feet underground. I mean, you know, just, just very deep underground. I, I like to remind people that injection wells is not something that's just used for fracking. We've been using injection wells in this country for a very long time. There's somewhere around 150,000 of them all around the, the country. Here's the thing. When, when you take an injection well and you place it too close to a fault line and you've got fluid in there, um, that fluid can migrate and it can certainly cause some geological activity with that fault line. So one of the things that our scientists in the industry are starting to do is to try to get better mapping of our subsurface area. So if you know where these fault lines are, you can avoid putting injection wells close to them and that will obviously reduce the potential of any geological activity. And, and so that, that has been occurring the last few years and, and we've seen reduced activity because of it. But it's still safe to say that fracking itself does not cause earthquakes. That, that's correct, and we, we like to make that distinction. So it's not the fracking process itself, and, and, and the environmentalists will say that. It's not the process that's causing earthquakes or any kind of geological activity, but it, it can be if you have a um, misplaced injection well, and obviously you're, you're injecting um, um, a, a lot of fluid into that well, if that well, if that fluid migrates into a fault line, it will cause some activity. And so the, the way the industry is mitigating that is making sure they, they better place these injection wells to, to reduce that activity. Okay, uh, why don't we move back, and we did a great takeoff on energy, which is not our planned topic, but it was just so interesting we kept going. Let's talk a little bit more about entrepreneurship in North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. What can you add to, as far as someone out there wants to be an entrepreneur, what are the advantages to them? Where can you go for help? Uh, you know, what suggestions do you have for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think North Carolina, I mean, we, we have, as you know, we, we've got just a, a great community of entrepreneurs here. I mean, you, you know, we've, we've been able to give birth to a lot of different ideas and a lot of different companies here in North Carolina. But I, I think the, the, the advantage that we probably have more than, than most other communities, most other states, it's just our, our, major, our amazing university system. I mean, we've got a great collection of not only great private universities that are out there throughout the state, but we've got just tremendous public universities. And both of them do a tremendous good job of, of producing and turning out um, entrepreneurial-minded people. And I think that's a great advantage we have. And it's also an advantage in terms of if you are an entrepreneur and you're looking to grow your company, and, you know, I've grown companies before, and, and typically the – the, the biggest thing you need to grow a company is making sure you have that right human talent, and you can get that right human talent here in North Carolina. Um, we also have great access to capital here. I mean, there, there are, you know, a large number of high net worth individuals who reside in North Carolina who also invest in companies. We certainly have a lot of great financial institutions here. I, I think in North Carolina, if we want to continue to be a leader in entrepreneurship, again, I go back to Raleigh. we just got to make sure we're watching our elected leaders making certain that we're not implementing policies that turn away business or make it harder for us to be in business. And, um, you know, right now I, I still feel like North Carolina has a little ways to go to be, you know, the most business-friendly state. Algernon, I have a question for you. This may be news to some of our listeners. Um, there are various forums, there are various uh, venues where investors meet people who are seeking uh, investment capital. Can you name some of those uh, uh, access points at least give a generic description of how the two meet yeah I mean you you you've got several what they would call you're, you're referring to what we would call sort of angel 
kind of groups, and, yes. and th- these are areas or forums where angel investors would come together and you know hear pitches about opportunities or about new companies and have the opportunity to invest. Um, in my area, you know, I'm, I'm from the Triad area, and in my area we, we have the Piedmont Angel Network, um, which is a really cool concept that's been around for a long time, and they are actual investors, and you go in and you present, and, and they may um, place seed capital into your company. Um, we also, in, in downtown Winston-Salem, you know, had a gentleman that recently created a concept called Flywheel, which is really interesting, and that's a place where companies can incubate and come together and share ideas and develop together and grow. Um, RTP has a, a lot of access to angel, different types of angel networks. Um, Raleigh is a great place to be if you're an entrepreneur. I mean, they're, they're one of the few cities that I know that's actually created a, an office within the, the city government to go out and recruit entrepreneurs from other states to come here and start their companies. Can you so they've name created some a lot of resources around that. Can you name some websites or companies that you know have uh, organizations you know have websites so people can uh, Google and find? Yeah, I mean, obviously these would be places back closer to, to, to where I'm at in the, in the Piedmont Triad, but um, you can definitely Google Piedmont Angel Network. We, we call them PAN, you know, P-P-A-N. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the concept I mentioned called Flywheel. Um, you've got the Nussbaum Center over in Greensboro that does some, some connecting around capital. But if you're back around the coast, you, you most likely you would find some resources. If you're wanting something closer to you, I would tell you to be looking, obviously, in Wilmington and then even more specifically in Raleigh and Greenville. Like even in Greenville, you know, Greenville's got one of the largest, with ECU, they've got one of the largest business schools in the state. So they have a lot of different forms and networks and different types of programs going on all the time at the business school down in Greenville. Now, I, this, this is going to seem uh, silly, but it's not. Um, Anyone who has an idea, they want to develop it, I think they would do well simply to watch some uh, episodes of Shark Tank. This is a uh, a kind of a uh, down-market, popularized version, but in one sense it's very real. You have to have your facts straight. You have to have your presentation strong. And then you're on the spot. You've got to perform, and you've got to perform right now. (laughs) And if you do well, then they'll uh, give you the time of day. No, I, I don't think that's a silly recommendation at all. I, I, I actually watch Shark Tank pretty religiously. Um, I, I think TV shows like that, I mean, there's a lot of other great TV shows on CNBC that you can watch. And, you know, I recall when I first got into business, you know, 13, 14 years ago, I used to watch a lot of those shows. I used to try to read as much as I can. And, uh, you know, a lot of those things can really shape your paradigm around how you see business and whether or not you're asking the right questions and whether or not you're focused on the right things. Um, so I don't think that's a silly suggestion at all. I think it's a very good one. Now, you'll hear things on a Shark Tank or if you watch The Profit or uh, Restaurant Startup or any of these, these different business shows that are starting to, to come out, you'll hear different um, terminology that you, that, that you may not be familiar with. And a lot of times that creates an opportunity for someone to go out and do self-education because I'm, I'm someone that believes if you really want to do something, Nowadays, with all the resources and the Internet and community colleges, everything that you have access to, you can really self-educate and do whatever you like to do. Uh, one thing I would follow on what you talk about entrepreneurship and building companies, it's been my experience that especially at the junior college level, uh, those schools are very, very cooperative to work with an emerging business to make sure you get their trained people to make your business successful. 
They are. I, I mean, I, I tell you, people oftentimes ask how, you know, what, what's the, you know, everybody wants to know what the secret of your success was. And, I mean, I could tell you a lot of different things, and there was a lot of variables that, that led to us being able to, to be successful over the last decade or so. But I'd say the biggest one, Bill, was, was meeting people who was already doing what I wanted to do or people who had already done what I'm trying to do and just connecting with those people and, and spending time with them and sharing ideas. Um, you know, being around people that's already walked the path that you're trying to walk um, can, can make, make your walk a lot easier. Oh, I agree, because it becomes possible if you've seen other people do something similar. It does. I mean, it gives you a sense of hope and, um, and a sense of direction. And, I mean, even still to today, I, I mean, I've got one mentor. I probably met him 11, 12 years ago, and, and still to this day, you know, once a month, he and I get together, and I'll, I'll update him on what I'm working on, and, you know, he gives me a little bit of direction. I, I just think having not just one mentor, but having a collection of mentors is helpful. And, and I'll also like to share with your listeners, when, when, you, when you have a mentor, sometimes you can have a mentor, and that person doesn't even have to know they're your mentor. And what I mean by that is for the last decade, um, Warren Buffett has been my mentor, but he doesn't know it. He and I have never met, but I read every annual report that he produces. I read a lot of articles that he writes, a lot of op-eds he writes. I, I watch him. I study him. And so to some degree, he's my mentor, but he, he's not even aware of it. That's beautiful. And, and that's the point. If there's someone out there that you respect, pay attention to what they're doing. It just might help you get something done you want to do. Yeah, because I think a lot of times people, you know, they get stuck because they're waiting on someone to come and help them. Um, and they, they, some people almost feel like they're entitled to that help, and, and so they, they just really get stuck in place. But, but you, you really have to just keep you, – you've got to just start moving. you just got to get going. And my experience has been if you just start going down the road, it, it, you know, it's almost like magic. I, I mean, it, I'm a little bit spiritual, so to me I don't think it's like magic. I think it's more of a blessing. But it, it's almost like the, the world and the universe will sort of conform to what you needed to be so you can get where you need to go. But, but you have to get moving, and a lot of people just get stuck in place. I think that was excellent advice for everyone. Uh, any questions? Is the line is seven six five zero zero nine seven. And otherwise, is there anything you'd like to share with us, Algernon? No, I, I just appreciate the forum. I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to come and revisit with you again. I really hate I wasn't able to be in studio today, so we could we could see each other. Um, I, and I appreciate what you're doing. I mean, there, there's a lot of other things you could be doing on a on a um, you know Thursday afternoon here, and um, you, you know you're you're getting out good advice and trying to help people, and I, I just think that's incredible. I also like to encourage your listeners if they want to learn more, if they just want to stay plugged in to some of the things that I'm I'm working on. Um, I do have a personal website at algenoncash.com, and that's a l g e n o n c a s h dot com. Um, my investment bank is called Wharton Gladden, and um, we, we do invest in companies and do a lot of real estate transactions, and so would encourage you to learn more there. Um, and then, like everybody else in the world, I'm on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, and I love friends. So um, if you find me there, you know, engage with me. If you got questions. Um, by all means, um, shoot me a question or message me, and I'd, I'd love to connect with you. Say your website again, please. It's um, algenoncash.com, and, um, and then our, um, the investment banking firm is wartongladden.com, and that's W-H-A-R-T-O-N-G-L-A-D-D-E-N. 
And if any of your listeners really enjoyed the comments I was making about energy and they want to learn more about that, there's a couple of ways to do that. If, if you're wanting to learn more about what's happening nationally and just keep up with some of the policies that are, hap- that are going on in Washington, you can go to the AmericasEnergyForum.com, and that's a national website of um, 23 communities around the, around the country, 23 states around the country, excuse me. And if you're more interested in just what's happening in your backyard here in the state, um, you can go to ncenergyforum.com, and that will give you more state-specific um, education. I thank you for sharing with the audience today. You, as usual, were terrific. And I would ask you that maybe somewhere in the future we can bring you back again, and maybe we'll take you out to lunch if you get down here. Yeah, I would love to. Um, and, and certainly I, I, I do get to Wilmington quite a bit in the spring and in the, in the summer, and that, that's why we thought I'd be down there this week. So I'd love to connect with you, and um, yeah, anytime you're you're open to having me back on, or if you feel like I can add value to a topic, reach out to us, and um, we'll, we'll get it scheduled. And I would tell you this, based on what I've seen in your resume, you have enough topics there to take over for about two weeks, and we could go home and take vacation, <laughs> and you'd run the place. So if you're coming down, just get in touch with me, and we'll try to fit you in. I think that's great, and thank you for calling. All right, thanks again, Bill. Talk to you again. Thanks again. Well, Bill, I want to compliment you. I think you brought a wonderful guest on today. Algernon is good people. He truly is. Yes. Uh, and if he's here, I know you and I would take him down to Carolina Fish Fry. It's a natural leader. For, at 4023 Market Street to, to make sure that he gets good food and he gets treated well, where he can get a Sunday brisk basket or a platter, uh, get the second basket half off. They have oyster baskets. They have scallop baskets. They have their famous Carolina seafood basket with shrimp, uh, and even so much more there. So again, 4023 Market Street, Wilmington, tell them that we sent you. Tell them Bill or John sent you from 1180, and they'll give you a surprise. That may just be the bill, but it'll be a surprise. The prices are good there, seriously. So anyway, I want to thank Algernon for being with us and uh, sharing a lot of information with us. A uh, couple of quick little things that are out there while we kill some time here to, to finish the day out. I don't know if you heard what's going on in uh, Charlotte Mick as far as the HB2 issue. Don't know. Okay. It seems that they can't leave well enough alone. We have a state law that says no. Their school board decided to say yes anyway. <laughs> so Let's rumble, right? Yeah, so the, the Charlotte Mech school has got a new policy that will allow students to use opposite-sex bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers uh, based on their thought of what they should be in. So in spite of the state law, this superintendent, Ann Clark, has chosen to violate the law and instead go ahead with the agenda that many of us feel is just inappropriate. Well, it's not a sit-in, but it's, it makes the point, same point. Um, there's a lot of options for what in it is, but I really can't go there in the air. But anyway, uh, I'm unsure that the state and someone will be having in court very quickly to change that before the school year starts. They've got some time before August. So uh, as we move on with that, I also want to fill you in on some information to support something you said the other day. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, when you were talking about your your leader, Gary Johnson, drawing some votes from the support group uh, of uh, Bernie. Yes. And uh, there's a Bloomberg report, Bloomberg Politics came out on June 14th with a national poll of likely voters that found that barely half of those who favored Sanders, which is 55%, planned to vote for Hillary. 
So 45% of her, her, his, his voters have no intention of voting for Hillary. Now, you may say to yourself, self, where are they going to vote? 22% said they're going to vote for Trump, while 18% said they favored Gary Johnson. There you go. So there might be a couple of votes in there for Mr. Johnson that might get him close enough to make a stage. <clears throat> I expect much more than that, you know. Well, I know what you expect, and... Uh, I, I, I expect to be thin in the morning, and both of us are going to be <laughs> disappointed. But uh, anyway, I thought I'd share that because it does kind of support your philosophy and well, thoughts there. Uh, moving right along, uh, yesterday or the day before, we actually had some conversation about those weird camps that you can go get tied up, and people pay to get tied up, and people pay to go get out. You have follow-on information. Well, we have a different camp that just opened up, and this is in Seattle. And actually, this sounds like it's a little bit better. It's almost workable. You, you might be interested. I, I could go to this. Uh, they've started uh, an adult summer camp for escape. Yes. And uh, it costs you about $450 a day, uh, $450 for a four-day weekend. And technology is not allowed in the place. They confiscate your phones and your computers and whatever else. And you get you get transportation to the place from the airport and food and everything else that goes with it. And what do you do? You go to archery. You go swimming. S'mores at night. Yeah, you, you spooky just spooky stories. You go camping. <laughs> you uh, sit around and you go. You socialize with people. You have conversations with people without that machine in your hand. You learn to talk to people. There's even uh, there's a they don't allow alcohol, but they will have a campfire. So maybe you can stick that marshmallow into so the campfire. It's a chance for us, uh, us uh, adult folk, to reboot. Yeah, it's a chance to kind of recharge you all after. And I can see this being appropriate because this is the time of year where most teaching staff says, the year is over, I need to recharge. This would be a great place to go with your friends. And I actually think it would be a lot of fun and uh kind of recharge and get get yourself ready for the summer and the kids will be back there's, there's certain things in life that's for certain there's a new school year starting in, in august so that's coming so uh but i thought that was a little fun to take a look at finally i'm, I'm we haven't had a chance to discuss it but uh i know you know that this uh illegal alien tried to kill trump oh my <laughs> i hadn't heard it expressed exactly that way but well it's the truth. Yeah, he was. Uh, now this is different than he was here on an ex overextended visa. An English citizen. Yes, he was an English citizen here. Over so he was an illegal alien, but because he violated his visa and didn't leave when he's supposed to, uh, and he tried to. I'm not sure we're playing with a full deck here. Uh, there may be a lot of cards missing from that deck because his his plan included. Going inside, and he tried to jump a policeman and steal his gun, and then he was going to go shoot Trump. Uh, yeah, he's, he's not well informed. Most police holsters are, are, have a security feature, and you can't just pull the gun straight out. There, you have to actually know how to do it. You have to cant it forward or backward or push a button or something to release it. And so uh, probably he, he uh, uh, made a snatch, and nothing happened. I'm sure the best line from this, the, the whole thing, public defender, now that's the guy that's supposed to be on your side, okay, yes. this guy's side. 
said that this gentleman previously attempted suicide and once ran away from a hospital in England. However, he believes he's competent to stand trial. That's the guy on your side. Just think what the other guy's doing. You, you want to say... <laughs> you want to say, maybe I'll defend myself in this case. You want to say, I'm sorry, I, was, I just was crazy that day. I need a pass here. I was... Uh, uh, I you just sometimes you just my meds, whatever you just don't want to even go there for that. Uh, one last quick little item about the VA again. They've been found mishandling five hundred million dollars. That's serious money. Yeah, yeah. I, they just uh, whenever just you think they've reached the bottom, go. they dig a new basement. <laughs> so it just it's just amazing that you know they can pull off what they kind of do all the time. But anyway, I think we're basically out of time for today, so we're going to wrap up today and sell everybody. We'll see you tomorrow when we're going to. Well, tomorrow I have scheduled a uh, uh, two people highly qualified to talk about the uh, transgender aspect of House Bill 2. Of course, that's only a small part of it. Much of it has to do with labor law. But House Bill 2 um, is mostly people like us who are sexually straight. You, you think you're a male, right? Hopefully. Okay. I do too, um, sexually straight, commenting about gay or transgender people. And that's really not the way to go about this. I, I have uh, with some difficulty found a transgender person who is willing to come on and try to explain to us the human aspect of this. And, you know, it's easy to judge, <clears throat> especially if you don't have a, a human connection and understanding. And that's what I hope to develop tomorrow. So we have um, um, uh, this, this transgender person, very nice person, I've, I've spoken by phone, and her pastor, uh, who's been on the show before. And I look forward to uh, getting a fresh insight and developing a more uh, compassionate human uh, perspective on this. Because it's, it's, it's not just politics. There's a human element to this, too. And there's two sides to human. So we'll get into that tomorrow, too. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening to the Talk Titan. And as always, we will close with Mr. Ray Charles in America. Have a good evening, everybody, and we'll talk to you tomorrow.
get something like this. Listen here. Oh, beautiful, far spacious skies, far amber waves of rain, far purple mountain, majesties. Whoa! 